Well, you waited all week long, and once again, we have arrived. This is the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Chicago Cubs checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. And today, well, it's three for the price of one, running that three-man weave. It's myself, Cole Wright, alongside Tony Andraki and our guy, Bruce Levine. And gentlemen, that 2020 sprint that we've talked about all season long, it has finally Come to a close, of course, Major League Baseball crowning that ultimate champion just a few nights ago with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the best team from wire to wire in all of Major League Baseball, going out there and winning the championship. And it seemed as if there were so many obstacles in their way. We saw them down 3-1 to one to the Atlanta Braves, Tony, and then we saw the way that the Tampa Bay Rays came back in game four. And I mean... Talk about an improbable chain of events, just the way that the Dodgers and Rays traded blows back and forth. And then, of course, the miscues on the plays, Chris Taylor not able to field that ball cleanly. And then Max Muncie throw to Will Smith. And then the little uh, whirling dervish spinneroo. And then Randy Rosarena, as we saw after he tripped and stumbled and bumbled, he eventually scored the winning run. And like we said, just one of the craziest World Series from front to back. But at the end, the Dodgers, they are the world champions. And as a guy who was able to cover that team for for part of two seasons and a guy whose daughter grew up at Chavez Ravine, all I have for that franchise is nothing but respect. And Dave Roberts, well, a commissioner's trophy couldn't have gone to a classier guy, Tony. Yeah, I mean, I think it's between that and Clayton Kershaw, like he was one guy I was rooting for to to put all the playoff issues that he had uh, to rest and, and to bed. So I think that was really cool. Uh, just in general, the fact that Major League Baseball was able to get to this point that there's a lot of respect for the players and they deserve a ton of credit for being able to, you know, avoid the virus and get to this point. And you know, obviously the Justin Turner thing was very unfortunate on the day that the Dodgers clinched there. But, you know, other than that, it was like almost two months between positive tests for players. So I think that was just super impressive. You know, there was certainly a time early in the season or in summer camp where so many people thought that there was going to be so few, such like no chance that this was going to happen, that the season was going to go all the way through, you know, and then when you had the Marlins and and, uh, Cardinals outbreaks, it seemed very unlikely too. But to get to that point for the Dodgers, you know, to go 32 years without a World Series, yes, it's a shorter season, but they were the best team going into it that even before when it was a 162 game season, they had the best odds and I think the best team on paper to win the World Series. So there's nothing cheap in about it. I think it's really cool that they did win. It would have been awesome if the Rays won too. I think that would have been just a fantastic story. But, you know, it, we were talking a little bit before, you know, the Kevin Cash, the decision to, to go away from Blake Snell is something that will hang over this offseason, I think, a lot. But it was also a, a great talking point and great fodder to discuss about baseball and, and fandom moving forward. Yeah, it's almost like you're sitting there, you're eating a dish, but you know you're going to get heartburn later, so you just shut it down. You say, you know, I, I can't eat this deep dish pizza because I want to get heartburn, but never mind the fact it's delicious right now. That's what they went with. They, they didn't go with the numbers. They, they said, you know what, we're going to get Blake Snell out of there because the third time around, he, he's not good. That's, that's, that's what Kevin Cash did, essentially, and that was him stepping away from that delicious deep dish pizza. He, he didn't continue with that, even though Blake Snell was out there throwing absolute chainsaws, and Bruce for the Dodgers to get to that point and Major League Baseball to get to that point, it's almost like they, they tripped at the finish line, but th- there was still 
a winner. They were still able to cross that finish line, but nevertheless, there was somewhat of a trip up. Uh, we know a breakdown in MLB protocols with Justin Turner being uh, taken out of the lineup in the seventh inning and then being back out there on the field for that championship celebration. Yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate. And uh, I don't know how uh, people are going to look at this historically about uh, him ignoring the fact that he had tested positive and then just walked by security like they weren't there to celebrate with his uh, team. I, I understand this is a, a once in a lifetime situation for Justin Turner that's played his whole life to get there. I understand what he was was trying to do and not missing the moment. But, uh, you know, being irresponsible about that is going to, uh, it's probably going to haunt him for the rest of his career. He's going to have to deal with answering about that. The next stop that he makes, he's a free agent now. So he's going to be moving on most likely to a new team. And it's going to be interesting uh, how that impacts his free agency and the rest of his career. Up until this point, uh, it's been a tremendous career for Justin Turner and a, and a one that, turned around as a Dodger. He was as important, influential, and as positive a person uh, uh, representing that Dodger franchise of anybody that you could uh, imagine. So uh, I'm hoping it has a, a good ending for, for them. And, uh, you know, there's some kind of fine for him and the Dodgers, and they, they move on from that. Nobody else gets sick from uh, the coronavirus. Absolutely. And for what it's worth, you said Justin Turner are going to be a free agent, but chances are I see him probably sticking there with the Dodgers for at least a season or two more, especially when you consider all the postseason records that I he's set. I got one question for you, though. Okay. What do you have there? What do you got, Bruce? You have to either go to Melnati's, Uno's, or Douay's because you never get heartburn eating deep dish pizza from those places, okay? Oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm always Lou Malnati's. But you know, sometimes I try to go with a thin crust only because I feel like I can eat a whole bunch more thin crust. I can eat an entire large thin crust as opposed to eating just two slices or three slices of a deep dish and a, and a regular size pie. But uh, Bruce, never that's here nor there. Never indigestion or heartburn from those places, never. Okay, okay, absolutely. We get the Bruce, Bruce Levine seal of approval right there when it comes to thin crust and deep dish so we know – at least we're doing something right right there. Now, you know, we talked about Justin Turner and, uh, you know, the, the potential risk that was associated with him being back on the field when it comes to COVID-19 protocols. And, uh, you know, we saw all the changes that were installed into this season because of the coronavirus. And, you know, we saw the, the universal DH. We saw in extra innings, of course, the base runner on second base to start the extra frame. You know, th there were just – a whole bunch of different things that were a little bit different this year. And, you know, for me, at, at first I was like, oh, a DH in both leagues, 100% uh, against it. But uh, after the season, you know, ran its course, Bruce, I'd like to think that I'm not 100% against it anymore. I'm just probably about uh, 75 to 50% against it because I'm still all on board with pitchers going out there and being able to swing the bat because it's part – of your job description. If you're a National League starting pitcher or a pitcher in the National League that has the opportunity to stroll to the batter's box, well, you know what you need to do? You need to be out there. You need to be taking batting practice. You need to refine your skills. Pay attention to your craft, Bruce. It's, it's part of the job, man. Man, you're old school. You are old school, my man. Uh, Tony's would, shaking his head. Bruce, we don't I have would, you full picture in our Zoom meeting right here, but Tony, he's shaking his head. The, the youth, it's wasted on the young right there. There's always something where Cole's railing against the cloud, like yelling at the cloud, and something about baseball in one of these podcasts. I, 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 
hoping it was going to be about this on this podcast, so I'm not. Well, 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 hold on a second. Before we get to Bruce, Tony, it, it'd be different if pitchers were all of a sudden just some guys who all they did their whole life was pitch and never pick up a bat, but more times right. than not, professional pitchers, what were they? They were the starting shortstops. They were first basemen. They were center fielders that had laser rocket arms. So what happened? They turned them into pitchers. Now, I don't know where not being able to hit came into play, but if, if you're a pitcher and you're in the National League, even if you're in the American League, I still feel like you need to go out there and take batting practice because there's a chance, there's the potential that you may be called into service and they may need to swing the stick. Like, what about, what about Michael Owings? Remember him back in the day? Imagine if someone yeah. said, oh, no, no batting practice for you. I think he'd be uh, feeling a whole different way. How about Carlos Zambrano? Imagine if Carlos Zambrano didn't swing that stick. Come on now. Or who was it? Uh, Brooks Kieschnick ended up becoming like a pinch hitter slash like reliever. I mean, yeah, those guys, it makes it. Rick and Keel, come on. Yeah. So I, I, but I think there's obviously a huge difference between batting practice and going in the game and seeing a hundred mile an hour pitching that we're seeing a lot so much of now and these nasty breaking stuff. And just, especially when you're only getting in the American league, you might get 10 plate appearances a year if you're a starting pitcher, maybe. And if you're in the national league, you're probably getting like around 50, 40 to 50, depending That's on why you make the best of them, Tony, make the best of them. I mean, I'm with you. Yeah, you swing hard. It, what was it? What was Castellanos thing? You kick high, swing hard, run fast out of the box. I mean, you take that approach if you're a pitcher too. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to hear Bruce's answer on this too and, and hear what he thought about the DH. Well, you know, because I'm older uh, chronologically, not old enough to be president or manager of the White Sox, but older. Um, at this oh. point, uh, I, will, I, will, I will tell you that I would, people would probably think, I'd be the first guy to say, yeah, we have to keep the pitcher. But then think about the 65 games uh, the whole time watching National League teams with DH. And how many times, Cole, did you say to yourself, boy, I sure wish that you Darvish was up there hitting right now. Did you think one time, was there one pitcher that you missed seeing batting in 2020? Was there one? I mean, not necessarily. But, <laughs> I mean, when, when spot, you think of, well, when you think of well, Rich Hill, I, I mean, I, I really do miss watching Rich Hill run the bases, former Cub. I mean, we know it's always an adventure when he's out there. He looks like a baby giraffe fresh out the womb, out there scrambling around the base paths. But uh, that's here nor there. But when it comes to pitchers being able to hit, when I, when I sit there and I do watch a pitcher, when pitchers have quality at-bats at and, and sound plate appearances, it makes me say, okay, that guy, he's been working after. He's been, he's been getting after. He's been putting in the extra hours as all other players do at other facets of their position, all pitchers have to do is go out there and worry about throwing strikes. And I feel like if there's other parts to your job description, then go out there and knock them out. We just haven't seen that in years past. So I think all, all, the, all the pitchers who can swing it, I think they really have something to be proud of. That's a badge of honor, Bruce. I get it. But here's the reality of the situation. In 2021, it's likely that we do not see a DH in the National League because of the fact that that is a bargaining chip going forward for the CBA in 2021. And both sides will want to use that to their advantage to see whether or not they can get concessions from the other side during those tough negotiations. So in 2021, they're likely to go back to a, 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 a pitcher hitting, but it would only be for a year because after 2021, I don't see – uh, pitchers ever hitting again in Major League Baseball. Uh, offense is, is too much king. It's too hard to even uh, get 
uh, enough offense going these days against the 100-mile-an-hour fastballs and the defenses that are set up to uh, prevent runs. Run prevention is a huge problem for attention span in baseball right now. So unfortunately, for people like you, Cole, and myself, who always sure. like the differentiation in the leagues, I think we might see it for one more year again, and then uh, it'll be gone after 2021. You know, we'll get to the rule changes in just a second, but Bruce, I, I, th I think you just set us down this rabbit hole because you're talking about all the offensive production and, and everything that, that is the game in 2020. But, you know, with all the home runs that have been hit and you know, the, the uptick in the power numbers, if I, I'm not 100% sure, but maybe we need to get our researcher from Marquee Sports Network, Chris Antonacci, on the phone right here. But I would have to guess that there's more batting averages league-wide under 250 than we've ever seen in the history of Major League Baseball. That's, that's the give and take. When you want all these guys to hit home runs, strikeouts, they're going to pile up, and uh, unproductive at-bats are going to pile up. That's exactly what we've seen. It's, it's part of the launch angle. And, I mean, Tony and Bruce, maybe you guys disagree with me, but when you swing up, and try to hit the ball out of the park. What are you doing? A lot of times you're swinging over the ball, you're swinging under the ball, and you're not making solid contact. When you make solid contact, you're going to put backspin on the ball, and it's going to jump out over the fence. Imagine if we got ourselves a time machine and we went back uh, to, the, to the 50s, 60s, 70s and told Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, hey, you're going to hit more home runs if you swing up. Forget swinging through the ball with a, a level cut. Just swing up on the ball. It's going to drop your batting average down to about 220, and you're going to strike out about double the amount. I don't think any of that would fly back then. And I don't know why it's flying right now, Bruce. And, you know, since you and I are closer in age than, uh, than Tony and I, I, I just no. really said that, Bruce and I, and not, probably not, but it's going to make me feel a little better <laughs> when it comes to this argument, Bruce. I don't know why that everyone is so satisfied with the uptick in power numbers, but the decrease in production. Well, I, I, can, I can tell you this, um, and we talked about this before we started the podcast, um, there were only two or three games in the World Series that were exciting enough to watch all the way through without stepping out of the room, taking a call, or, uh, or shutting an eye. So, but would you would you agree though, Bruce? The most exciting part of a lot of World Series games this season came when they were going station to station, when they were putting the ball in play, when when we saw an error made and there was a, 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 a yeah. throwing miscue. It wasn't every time someone hit a home run. Uh, home runs. I, agree. I mean, I agree. as cool as they are, they're anticlimactic. Well, that's the shocking part is that we wait for those moments now and we can wait two or three games without being satisfied with that type of baseball because 40% of the outcomes are walk, strikeout, or home run. So from that perspective, um, the, the, you know, the game hurt is hurting a little bit from people being able to continue to concentrate on every pitch and uh, every inning because, you know, there's no hitting and running. There's no stealing bases. There's no guys on base. It's home run, strikeout, or walk. You know, it's like there's no action in a home run, a strikeout, or walk. Even a home run, there is absolutely no action other than the guy swinging the bat and walking around the bases. So from all of that, the game needs a new influx of a deader ball. And from what I understand, that's what we're going to get going toward the future. A ball that's deader, harder to hit out of the, out of the ballpark. Therefore, uh, a um, strategy change for organizations, scouting, uh, development, and players to get away from that launch angle swing and go back to a, a more, uh, you know, straight ahead and uh, contact swing that we saw in the past. 
Yeah, Tony, I think league-wide, if you were to go and, and survey a, a lot of front office dwellers and say, what would you rather have, a guy that hits 30 home runs and bats 215 or a guy that hits five home runs and bats 300 and, and, and pushes runs across and steals bases and does all the little things? And I think, and as sad as it is to say, I think more times than not, we would hear that they'd rather have a guy with 30 home runs that bats 220. Yeah, maybe nowadays. I mean, you hear so much slug is in the air, right? Like, because it is. Because hitting ground balls doesn't lead to a high slugging percentage. But I think really the main thing and what Bruce was getting at too is is a balance. And that's what Theo Epstein talked about at the end of the year is you can't have all of one type of hitter nowadays. Even if front offices or, um, you know, analytics say that the guy hitting 220 who hits 30 to 40 bombs a year you don't want nine of those guys, or you don't even probably want seven of those guys. You want some of the other guys who run the base as well, who uh, take a lot of walks. So even if they're hitting 220, they have a 350 on base percentage. Uh, guys who make more contact than others. And, and so when they come up in different spots with a runner on third and less than two outs, they're actually getting the run home more often than not. So that's what I think you want moving forward. And just in general, I, I mean, to Bruce's point too about action in the game, that's why I'm in support of the DH. And I hope it's around for 2021, even if it's not necessarily looking like that, just because there's more action. I, I don't need to see, it's awesome, you know, in the 4% of time that a pitcher up at the plate does something great, whether it's a home run or a hit or draws a walk and then Rich Hill or you Darvish or somebody else is running the bases. But for the 96% of the time that they do nothing or they swing through a ball or they struggle to get down a sacrifice bunt, whatever it may be, I don't need that. I don't need to watch that. I don't need to cover that. I think most fans probably agree with that. So the DH is good in that sense, but also just in the sense of like, it's so weird. It's still so weird to me in foreign that the DH, that the, each league had different rules, that in the American League, you have an extra hitter. In the National League, you don't. In, in the NBA, you don't have different rules for, you know, Eastern Conference, Western Conference. In the NFL, AFC, NFC, you don't have different rules. So that just always struck me as, something that was kind of annoying. And we all know the DH is never going away in the American league. So I think that's the only way you have to get to a point where the DH is around consistently. So baseball can kind of move forward. And so we can see more offense, like we're talking about. I think we all want to see more offense. We all want to see more balls and more base hits, you know, teams, how many teams won games this year with only like three hits, but they scored four or five runs. Like that's, that's not that interesting to watch. It's, it's just really not. Well, I'm, you know, w winning ball games—that's a whole lot of fun, and that's interesting to watch, as opposed to you know watching teams go up there and, and swing and miss, and then sit around and wait on that long ball. You know, I talked about it just a few weeks ago. You know, I, Tony, I don't know if it was you and I, or it was one of our producers at Marquee Sports Network, when we were—I was saying like sitting back and waiting on a home run. That's like going to and spending a whole bunch of money this week, and then when people ask like, "Hey, did did, did you get a new job? What happened?" Like, "Oh no, I plan on winning the lottery next week." That's what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to hit it big next week. So this week I'm going out there. I'm doing whatever I feel like monetarily because next week I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to hit that home run. That's exactly what's going to happen. Now, Bruce, if the DH does in fact return for 21 or 2022, I mean, how, how do you see the Cubs potentially approaching the situation? Do they go about it the same way as they did this year or do they, do they want those, you know, those feast or famine guys or would they maybe want a player Almost a guy like, like Cameron Maven, a guy who gets in there, he produces. I know he's not your customary DH, but if he's not out there and he's not playing the field, making an impact defensively, I mean, he's a guy who can go station to station. He's going to get you base knocks, doubles, and every once in a while he's going to leave the yard. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think you win as, uh, with Cameron Mabrin, Mabrin as your uh, 
as your uh, number one guy, but having a guy with that type of versatility is important to have on your team. Uh, we know that uh, being manager and being able to have functional guys that he can move around uh, is important. I'm hoping that having 28 men on a roster is something that they continue to use because of the fact that we know the game is so much power pitching and power arms out of the bullpen that you don't have enough versatility and men on the bench to do what you have to do to win a ball game sometimes, even with a DH. So I'm hoping that the, the versatility uh, is Im impacted by the fact that you can still have 28 guys on a team. But uh, in reality, um, you know, I, I think in order to keep fans coming back to the game, and, and again, they were that's, – that's a big question, Mark, going forward is when fans can come back at, in masses to the game, will they? Because of the fact that we trained them this year not to come to the ballpark but to watch Marquee and be able to uh, get all those uh, benefits that you get from watching a high-tech game in the year 2020 on television. All, I mean, me as a reporter, I learned this year by covering some games from home that I could do a better job because I had all this other information coming in and I was able to use uh, more technology to do my job while I was watching the game. So, you know, we, we have a, a lot of things going on at the same time. But, you know, getting back to the point, you know, that we were making here about making the games more exciting and interesting, you know, I just think, you know, moving forward, DH or no DH, you know, they have to, they have to change the perspective of uh, <clears throat> what they want for offense, uh, what they want for defense, and uh, what kind of players you sign as being uh, – uh, important for you going forward are you an on-base percentage guy are you a contact guy or are you an OPS guy that makes all the money in the game to me um, the biggest factor going forward for all of us DH or no DH is uh, will the game be able to continue to attract fans uh, to the ballparks and keep the sport growing properly yeah, DH or no DH fans or no fans. I tell you what, if I was an accomplished former major leaguer and, and putting down bunts, if that was my thing, you know what I'd do? I'd, I'd set up an academy and teach some of the game's premier players right now how to butt against that shift. I know it sounds crazy. It might sound a little bit corny, but we don't see anybody do that ever when there's free hits out there on the base pads. If you see the, the infield that's loaded up on one side and everyone's expecting you to go there and, and jam one down someone's throat, but there's going to be a guy there ready to make a play, what do you do? Just lay down a bunt. I mean, I know it's not easy to bunt, but it's a whole lot harder to hit a home run over those guys that have shifted because if, if that was so easy, then everybody would do that each and every single step of the way. And uh, Tony, how about you? When it comes to some of the rules, I'm not anti-DH at all. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-production. That's what I'm all about. Putting the ball in play, winning the ball games, doing all the little things right there. But if there's one rule change that we saw that was implemented this season that you think may stick around, which one will it be for you? You know, I think I really like the seven-inning doubleheaders. I think there's not too many doubleheaders in baseball over a 162-game season, but it seemed like the players loved them. I know David Ross and, and some other managers around baseball said they absolutely loved them. Uh, front offices, I imagine, loved them because you save more pitching. But I think, you know, for fans, for um, for media covering, I mean, Bruce, you can attest to this too, like it, it – 
regular doubleheaders are really, really long. And seven inning doubleheaders I thought were pretty exciting. Plus it was kind of unique to, you know, all of a sudden it's the fifth inning. You're like, whoa, it's getting late out there. So I thought that was cool. And I don't know if it's going to stick around or not, but the runner on second base to start extra innings, I actually like that a lot more than I thought I would going into the season. I just, speaking to your point, Cole, about guys situational hitting or hitting against shifts or so on, when a guy is on second base to start, there was so much more action. I mean, we saw it the first time it happened against the Cubs and, and Pirates. Kyle Schwarber threw a guy out at home plate. And then um, I think it, was, it might have been Jeremy Jeffress pitching or Ryan Tapera, whoever it was, you know, getting out of the jam. And we saw that a bunch of different times. Jason Adams uh, had one or two instances like that, too, in extra innings. And I thought that was just really exciting baseball. You never knew what was going to happen. Um, I, it was just uh, cool in general. So, from purely a baseball fan perspective, I think I'd like to see that stick around. Maybe not next year. Doesn't seem too realistic, but in in the new CBA, maybe that'd be. I think that'd be pretty cool. Or maybe you go to like you play eleven innings of regulation, and then after that you have it. But I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Well, what was the what was the main purpose of why they put that in there? I think you guys will agree with me. They put it in for time of game. Mm-hmm. So with, with that with that with that known. Uh, baseball's uh, clock was two minutes longer this year than it was in the past. So that, that saved no time. Uh, I think saving arms in the bullpen is what it's all about. And from that perspective, I get it. But, uh, you know, m- moving forward here, uh, I, w- I would think that uh, we're going to see that rule stay as well as the, the one inning uh, where a pitcher has to come in, which I don't like very much either. So... Yeah, we'll I'm, see not, how I'm not a fan. I'm not a yeah. fan of the three batter minimum. I, you know, I, I'm hot and cold on a lot of these different rules. I know that Tony and, and, and Scott, you guys are sitting there looking at me with a little smirk on your face. I'm like the old man in the park. Tony always says I'm the guy yelling at clouds, but I, I don't think it's like that. I just think I like to see baseball played the way it was intended to be played. Balls are going to leave the park, but also you have to do some manufacturing along the way. And I know that it's going to be you know a, a long off season for the Cubs just – when you think about everything that's gone into the 2020 season and that will go into the 2021 campaign. And uh, Bruce, are, are you a Game of Thrones guy? No, I'm not. Although I, I, I to, to upset all of my friends, and you know how I am, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I watched the last episode, okay, only. <laughs> and and I you, said, did you tweet out spoilers? I'm sure you did. All, you know, my family, my friends, my girlfriend were so outraged that I kept saying, you know, what's with this dog? Why is everybody following that dog out of there? You know, it's just like, what are you, nuts? I mean, you know, come on back, you know, st- stick around. You don't have to leave. So I knew nothing about it <laughs> until the last episode. And, you know, people hated me for talking about the last episode. So. All right. Well, I know nothing about it because uh, flying dragons haven't been my thing since I was about seven years old. So that's here nor there. But one thing I do know is that a, a phrase from that series is that winter is coming. And uh, like we said, with that long off season, there's going to be a lot to think about for Theo and Jed and the Cubs front office. So when it comes to some areas of concern or maybe focus, Bruce, so what do you think that Theo and Jed are really looking to fix this off season? Well, I think the, the things that we talked about, uh, I think they, they feel they have to bring in some contact hitters, guys that can, that can hit the fastball in the zone. Uh, that's, that was the biggest problem for the Chicago Cubs this year. They couldn't, they couldn't hit fastballs. So they were you know, swinging and missing. And, uh, you know, this is a team that was a fastball hitting team in 2016 and 17, one of the best in the game. 
So from that perspective, you know, you hear names like Tommy Lestello. Uh, Tommy Lestello is a different player now than he was when he was with the Cubs. He bulked up. He can hit home runs. He can hit doubles. He has a good eye at the plate. Two different uh, teams this year used him at the top of the order, the Angels and the A's. So this is a type of player they're looking for at the top of their order to be able to get on base and move some of those big hitters down in that lineup. Guys like Bryant and Rizzo, uh, if they're going to stay around in Schwarber, I think they have to go back to the more conventional three, four, and five hitting. None of this stuff about, well, we want to see him five times. No, you want to see him five times with men on base. And, and that's the ultimate thing in baseball and always has been. Your, your top of the – top of the batting order guys must get on base and Tommy Lestella like that or a player like that they're trying to identify can get a base hit can take a walk and uh, can be there to score a run okay so Tony with those uh, different areas of focus for Theo and Jed to emphasize this offseason what what do you think are uh, what Cubs free agents are re-signed and we see back on the squad in 2021 yeah, I think, you know, in addition to the offense, which are all great points by Bruce, I mean, that's the major main area of focus that this team needs is to try to get more contact and differentiate the lineup. Um, but they also need some pitching depth. I mean, right now, Tyler Chatwood, Jose Quintana are free agents. Uh, John Lester, there's no way they're picking up the $25 million option. So, you know, he'll be a free agent as well. So starting pitching depth, and then Jeremy Jeffress is a free agent, Andrew Chafin, some other guys in the bullpen. So I think pitching depth, especially when you're coming off this short season, this weird season, and as of right now, you know, lined up for a 162-game season next year, I think teams are going to need more pitching than ever before. So uh, you need to go out and get those guys. And I, I think a guy like Lester makes a ton of sense for returning and a reunion between the two sides. He wants to come back and pitch, I know, at Wrigley Field, um, you know, with fans or just pitch at Wrigley Field in general again. And I think the Cubs could use his, his veteran experience and just in, you know, having another lefty in the rotation, more rotation depth. So I think he makes a ton of sense. And honestly, you know, for a guy like Andrew Chafin, or I, I think he could make a ton of sense too. I, I don't know specifically how, uh, how much interest he has in returning, but yeah, that he, he would be a perfect fit, I think, in the Cubs bullpen. And um, we'll see about Jeremy Jeffers as well. I know he fit in so well with this team and he was such an important member of it. But if you can imagine having, you know, Lester back in the rotation, adding another guy or two to that, but then having Jeffers and Kimbrell again in the back end of the bullpen, I think you'd feel a lot better about this team and this pitching staff going into 21. Bruce, uh, I'm, I'm right there with, with Tony. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, one of the most important free agent signings this offseason will be Jeremy Jeffers. I know how John Lester is important because he's, quite possibly the most important free agent signing in the history of the Chicago Cubs. But from front to back, all season long, there was nobody that was more consistent than Jeremy Jeffers, whether it be in the batter's box or on the pitcher's mound. J-Double, he was airtight all season long, and hopefully he can do more of the same in 2021, Bruce. Yeah, and, you, you know, you're just going to have to look at the free agent market out there and, and, you know, think we need two guys. Like, we need to add, keep Jeffers, but also add – like a power left-handed arm in the back end of our bullpen, you know, like a Zach Britton or a person like that on a short-term deal. And I think free agency is going to be um, surprisingly uh, more active than people talk about. But because my, my projection is, is that it's going to be a little, little later developing for some people, but other 
smart players and agents this year after understanding the economic situation that baseball is in will be more prone to signing one-year deals, okay? Sure. And I think some people will, will, will jump on one-year deals with real good money involved, even though it might be uh, prorated as to how many games you play because of the fact of uh, we don't know uh, what the revenues are going to be for baseball. We do not know um, how many games are going to be played. We don't know what baseball is going to look like after the 2021 CBA in December next year. So with all that said, I think you're going to see more short-term deals that clubs are more comfortable with. And teams like the Cubs need to add to that bullpen. Uh, there's not one guy that, that, um, that David Ross trusted other than those two guys that we mentioned there in Kimbrell and in uh, Jeffress at the end of the year, that impacted both of those playoff games. He went a little bit too long with both starting pitchers in those games they lost because he didn't really have a bridge guy that he trusted. And he was trying to get to these two guys at the end. You can't win baseball games that way. So depth in the bullpen is going to be huge for the Cubs. Okay, so Tony, when it comes to this 2021 team, uh, comparing and contrasting with 2020, how much different will this ball club look, if at all? Will it be pretty much the same guys out there, or are we going to see a whole new cast of characters? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's actually going to look a lot of the same. I know fans don't necessarily want to hear that, but just realistically speaking, how much different can this position player group get, for example, you know, and, and rotation-wise, if, if injuries – are in effect, or I think you see guys like Elzele and Alec Mills uh, get an opportunity to show what they can do over a full season, which I think will be really enticing to see, especially a guy like Elzele and what he added with his slider and two-seamer. So, you know, and then if, if guys like Lester and Jeffers come back, free agency, as Bruce said, is going to be very, very different this year. And uh, it's not going to be as robust of a market as in years past. So I think, yeah, a lot of these guys could return, but just with the position player group, the, Theo and Jed, they're not going to trade these guys away for nothing or for something that's not going to be the value that they're even going to be come, coming close to getting. It, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's just not going to, it's not going to be something that they're going to do. So if their value isn't high and most of these guys, their value isn't high. I mean, you know, Bryant, Schwarber, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, they all had the worst seasons of their career statistically. So for, for the Cubs to trade those guys and get a fraction of what they wanted to get or what their value is over the last year before they hit free agency. I, I don't see them doing that. So, um, you know, unless it's kind of a perfect deal or unless they're getting some players back that they really want that would help differentiate and diversify the lineup like a Listella or similar guys of that ilk, then I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see the position player group changing all that much. Yeah. That 2021 comeback tour, it's about to be something to watch now uh, before we get both of you guys out of here, Bruce, I'm going to need a bold prediction from you when it comes to this off season, what's the big splash going to be when it comes to moves being made or no moves being made when it comes to Theo and Jet? Well, I, you know, it's, it's really hard to project that right now. I, I would just say that um, I would project that maybe one of those uh, core four players that are being talked about being moved is traded. And, uh, you know, again, will be driven by what Tony said, which is accurate that you can't get, proper compensation back for these guys or will it be driven by hey Mr. Ricketts feels that um, you know we need to 
adhere to you know a certain payroll and we must move a payroll and bring in some younger players for the future with this type of move so again trying to compete for a championship with this window closing on this group in 2021 and looking toward the future a future that might not have these four guys or the president and general manager of the team of a president and a president of the, of the baseball operations there. Uh, that is going to be interesting to watch how much attention is paid toward the future as well as trying to win in 2021. Yeah, Bruce keeping it bold, uh, insinuating that some members of the core four may want to list their uh, current residences on Zillow. Uh, we'll, we'll see where guys go once the season gets underway, the off season that is. So, Tony, when it comes to your bold off season prediction, man, what, what are you hitting us with? I think uh, either Javi Baez or Anthony Rizzo will sign an extension before the, the new season starts. So maybe that's in spring training like we saw with Kyle Hendricks a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, just bold prediction. I, I could see that happening. And um, I, I don't know for sure about, you know, Schwarber or Bryant or even Wilson Contreras, who's due for free agency in a couple of years. But I, I think with how much Javi means to this team in their run prevention and, and defensively and um, everything that he's brought to the team, you know, in baseball instincts and IQ and same with Rizzo, the way Rizzo stepped up to be a leader in 2020. And he's obviously meant so much to, to this team, but really his at bat too is, has been so huge. As we talk about all these guys, Rizzo does everything we talk about. He, he chokes up, he goes the other way. He tries to put the ball in play. Um, he, you know, he makes hard contact. He shortens up with two strikes, all those things that I think is such a great example for anybody else in the lineup. So I think those are two guys that the team really wants to build around. So I can see an extension with one of those guys coming up. Um, but that being said, we, we just don't know what the financial landscape is. So it, I, I do think it's bold to think that one of those guys will sign an extension before spring training starts. But yeah, I, I, I guess we'll see how realistic that is. All right. Well, I don't necessarily have to make a bold prediction. I was just uh, instructed to make sure that you guys gave me your bold prediction. But I'm going to do that <laughs> anyways. I'll, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and I'm going to say that there's a big free agent that's going to come to the Chicago Cubs. It's probably going to be on one of those one-year deals like Bruce was saying, but I think it's going to be an instance where we see that big-time free agent be the first to test those one-year contract waters. They're going to roll the dice, they're going to bet on themselves, and they're going to come to Chicago and they're going to help the Cubs win the 2021 World Series championship. Now, I know maybe a lot of prognostication there, but, uh, you know, we, we like to put the cart before the horse in a good way here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, and, uh, well, that's what we do. So, uh, well, Paul, right now, Paul Wright's projecting that the Cubs signed Trevor Bauer to a one-year deal. That's well, you know, I feel like that's a, that's a whole nother Cubs Weekly Podcast because of Trevor Bauer, you can dig into him, you know, with, with a steak knife, one of those giant forks that you hang on the wall because there, there's so much – that is wrapped around that dude. I mean, I, I love the way he pitches. Don't necessarily love uh, all the pomp and circumstance that he has going on with social media. But once again, like Tony always says, I'm the old man out there yelling at clouds, uh, social media, not really my wheelhouse and all the things that the kids do these days. Well, that's what Trevor Bauer is all about, but he's also out there and he's all about getting out. So if, if the Cubs welcome him with open arms, I'm, I'm sure he would do nothing but help fortify that pitching staff and Cubs fans, I'm sure they would love to see that. And they're going to love to hear what we have to bring them next week because this week, well, our time has run its course. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast brought to you by Trust. And remember, as always, don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever 
you get your podcast and do so today. So for Tony Andraki and Bruce Levine, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next time.